The U.S. fentanyl crisis, helped along by a Chinese city. Not only do the raw materials get sent over. Chinese criminals are helping facilitate not only with the chemicals to make the fentanyl, but with the money laundering. President Biden signing an executive order to boost biotechnology. It's an effort to compete with China. But Beijing is taking action too. California banning foreign governments and companies from buying U.S. farmland. Books about sheep and wolves put a group of speech therapists behind bars. Hong Kong authorities labeled the children's books an anti-government conspiracy. And for Beijing, is controlling its own citizens more important than national defense? We examine the growing gap between its stability funding and military spending. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Border Patrol agents in Arizona and Texas say they have seized record amounts of meth and fentanyl. Fentanyl seizures in July jumped over 200 percent there, compared to the month before. NTD Evening News host Stephania Cox spoke with former Drug Enforcement Administration agent in charge Derek Maltz for his take on the latest numbers and Chinese criminals' involvement in the issue. Derek Maltz, welcome to our show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Border Patrol agents say they're seizing record amounts of fentanyl and methamphetamine in Arizona and Texas. How bad is the crisis right now? The crisis is very bad, and my hat goes off to the brave men and women in the front lines and law enforcement. But you got to remember, they're not only seizing it at the border, we're, we're making record-breaking seizures in America, like a couple weeks ago, last week, in New Mexico, historic level seizure, over a million pills of fentanyl, 4 million in cash, 140 pounds of fentanyl, 37 firearms, and they locked up a whole cell. FBI working with DEA, state and local agencies. Plus, we had a million pills seized uh, early August uh, coming in, and then another million pills that were seized in the middle of uh, August by Border Patrol and CBP. So they're doing tremendous work but we're getting flooded with this poisonous substance in our country. So that's why we need Operation Warp Speed to shut it down in Mexico. Over the weekend, Vice President Kamala Harris said the border is secure, but it's clear that drugs are still flowing into the U.S. What kind of a message do you think her remarks are sending? Well, first of all, they've been sending mixed messages from day one. That's why we have a disaster and a nightmare at the border. Look at the DHS secretary, Mayorkas, tells the American public in Congress how he has operational control of the border. When you talk to the people on the border patrol, and I was there in Arizona, and I was there in Texas, and you get a really good view and you get good intelligence from talking to the people on the ground, they've never seen the historic amounts of people coming in. And they're released into the country. They're put on planes. They're put on buses. And they're coming to a city near everybody on this that's watching the show. It's not just at the border. What's happening at the border is a nationwide crisis and will continue to get worse. When President Trump was in office, he wanted to introduce the death penalty for traffickers of fentanyl and other opioids. What's your take on this approach? Well, I literally have been saying we need to declare the Mexican cartels as terrorists over four years ago. I'm in the state of Ohio right now. I testified in Congress uh, and they voted almost unanimously to, to declare the cartels as terrorists and treat them like terrorists. If we had al-Qaeda or ISIS producing chemical weapons 
in Mexico. What would we do? Sit back and let it happen? No, we destroy the processing. Well, right now we have another dynamic which people don't even talk about. Chinese criminals are helping facilitate not only with the chemicals to make the fentanyl, but with the money laundering services all over America. They're using Chinese students to pick up cash all over this country to deliver the money to Chinese business guys who are buying property, buying land, real estate, and it's helping the cartels get their money. So they're providing the cartels with the chemicals and providing the services for the money laundering. So guess what? This is a huge national security threat to every American. And what do you think should be done? Well, I think we need to first treat it like a very serious national security crisis. This isn't grandpa's opioid crisis. The talking points from 15 years ago need to be updated from the White House. This is a poisoning against our kids, killing our future generation. We have to go after the production labs. We have to shut down the chemical flow from China, and we have to help shut down the money laundering services that the Chinese criminals are providing to the cartels. But most importantly, we have to educate the middle school, the elementary school kids. Right now, we're teaching our kids criminal... Uh, critical race theory in our schools, but we can't teach them about fentanyl, this poisoning. We've never had this in the history of the country. It's a disgrace. And everyone in the administration needs to be held accountable, especially with the midterms coming up and after the midterms. But the truth be told, this is not even a red or a blue issue. It's a red, white, and blue issue because it's impacting all Americans from all backgrounds, all races, all economic classes. That's the disgrace. As a matter of fact, in Ohio, Tim Ryan, a Democrat, along with Lauren Boebert from Colorado, they want to declare it a weapon of mass destruction. There's a resolution in Congress, and the families against fentanyl have been pushing that. So hopefully we could see some action and start treating it like a national security threat. All right, Derek Maltz, former DEA agent in charge, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. The Chinese city of Wuhan has become known as the fentanyl manufacturing capital of the world. Experts reveal most of the materials used to make the drugs are coming from that city. The materials get processed into drugs in South America and sent across the border to the U.S. Another battlefield between the U.S. and China. President Biden signed an executive order on Monday to boost biotechnology in the U.S. It's an effort to compete with China and reduce reliance on other countries. President Biden signs an executive order on Monday to boost the country's biotechnology industry. And that covers everything from pharmaceutical manufacturing to biomass fuels. The initiative, Biden says, will help combat cancer. But it's not enough to invent technologies to save lives. We need to manufacture advanced biotechnologies here in the United States. What also prompted Monday's move was China. The White House says China is, quote, aggressively investing in the biotechnology sector, which poses risk to U.S. leadership and competitiveness. And Biden said at an event in Boston on Monday, Today's action is going to ensure that America leads the world in biotechnology so we don't have to rely on anywhere else in the world. Here in America will be made. China dominates the global production of active pharmaceutical ingredients for generic drugs. And U.S. lawmakers have flagged that as a national security risk. Meanwhile, Biden signed an executive order last month to boost domestic chip production, also aimed at competing with China. Folks in China and others think we're a spent economy. 
And earlier on Monday, Biden touted the bipartisan infrastructure law at Boston's Logan International Airport, which is getting millions of dollars in federal funding to upgrade its international terminal. We risk losing our edge as a nation to China and to the rest of the world's catching up. That stops now with investments like we're celebrating here today. Biden is expected to host a biotechnology summit later this week, at which he could disclose exactly how much money will go toward the latest initiative. Earlier this year, China released a five-year plan for bioeconomic development, including boosting new technologies in the medical field. The move marks China's first five-year plan for the sector. A new rule is coming to California. On Wednesday, the state voted to approve a new bill, banning sales of farmland for foreign governments. The measure looks to protect U.S. food supplies. A similar bill was introduced on the federal level last month largely to prevent Beijing from buying up U.S. land. The author of California's bill explained that food can and is being used as a weapon. Beyond outlawing foreign purchases in the state, leasing, acquiring or holding interest in farmland are also prohibited. Under the terms of the bill, state-sponsored enterprises under the control of a foreign country are also included. They are not allowed to hold ownership interests of 51 percent and up. The bill also requires U.S. State Department of Food and Agriculture to release annual reports on certain farmland utilization details. The state's rule will take effect January 1st next year. But land purchased or owned by a foreign government before that date is not subject to the bill. Fourteen states now have foreign land ownership, and Chinese buy-ups have become the most worrying. According to Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, Chinese investors' holdings have multiplied 25 times over within a decade. Cotton says Chinese investments in American farmland put our food security at risk and provide opportunities for Chinese espionage against our military bases and critical infrastructure. Cartoons about sheep and wolves have left five Hong Kong speech therapists behind bars. They were sentenced on Saturday to 19 months in jail. That's after they had published three children's books in 2021 featuring sheep and wolves. Local authorities said they reflected anti-government conspiracy. The five pleaded not guilty and had already been in custody for over a year before Saturday's sentencing. The cartoons revolved around a village of sheep dealing with wolves from a different village. In the story, the sheep take action, like going on a strike or escaping by boat. Police said the stories paralleled political unrest in Hong Kong, such as the 12 activists who were arrested at sea while attempting to flee the city. The district judge accused the books of being a brainwashing exercise with a view to guiding the very young children to accept their views and values. Authorities have clamped down on dissent in Hong Kong since the pro-democracy protests in 2019, arresting dozens of activists while forcing others to flee abroad. The clampdown has led to criticism that China's ruling Communist Party has gone back on its 1997 pledge to retain the city's freedoms, including free speech. What's higher on China's priority list than growing its military? One spending report says it's maintaining social stability. Funding dedicated to that end came in at 7% higher than defense spending in 2020, more than doubling in 10 years. Let's zoom in on why. 
China's national military budget is approaching U.S. levels. But Beijing's spending on measures to control its citizens totals 7 percent higher than defense as of 2020. That's according to a report from Japanese newspaper Nikkei Asia late last month. The report says in 2020, China spent up to $210 billion on controlling what it calls domestic stability. A China affairs analyst says the Chinese Communist regime has been investing hugely in the area for a decade, and that this portion of its budget started to exceed its defense spending as early as 2009. The issue of this social instability in the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party, in their eyes, was very urgent and very serious even by that time. As the Chinese Communist regime strengthens its control on public order and restrictions on public speech, more social issues have started to emerge. In one case, looking at central China's Henan province, authorities blocked victims of a mass banking freeze from protesting. That's through using China's mandatory health codes, which are part of the country's contact tracing system. Depositors can't withdraw their money. That's the result of their rule. But the more control it has, the more problems it creates, because it does not solve any of the social problems. It only uses such overbearing means. It will hire many triads to suppress people's demand for their rights. The report also notes that Beijing has extended its supply camera coverage. Now virtually all residential and business areas are under surveillance, as are many of the country's streets. The Women's Tennis Association is planning a return to China for tournaments in 2023. This comes after the head of the association suspended all tournaments in China last year over concerns about a Chinese player's safety. At the time, the action was estimated to cost the WTA hundreds of millions of dollars, with China being one of its biggest markets. Some background on the Chinese player that went missing. Her name is Peng Shuai one of the biggest sports stars in China. She's a former world number one for tennis doubles. Things took a turn after she posted a statement on Chinese social media, accusing a former top Beijing official of sexual assault. Within 20 minutes, her post was removed from Chinese internet websites, and Peng disappeared from public view. Many in the West were concerned about her safety. The WTA was among the first at the time to call out Beijing and question Peng's safety, followed by the White House. Later on, staffers from Chinese state-controlled media outlet posted video clips of Peng as proof that she's alive and well. But the WTA wasn't pacified. The head of the organization, Steve Simon, suspended tournaments in China, one of its biggest markets. In a statement, he said in good conscience he doesn't see how he can ask WTA athletes to compete there when Peng Shuai is not allowed to communicate freely and has seemingly been pressured to contradict her allegation of sexual assault. Coming up, former Chinese Communist Party insiders reveal the inner workings behind the regime's Iron Curtain. What do they mean when they call those working for Beijing the walking dead? And why would an official ask his own daughter to witness the regime's brutal killing of students asking for democracy? That and more after the break, here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A peek behind the Chinese Communist Party's Iron Curtain. Why do former party officials call those living under the regime's rule walking corpses? And what do they mean by living a life under two layers of skin? We bring you an inside perspective with award-winning filmmaker Kay Rubicek on American thought leaders. For these former Chinese Communist Party officials, speaking publicly about their experiences means risking their families and even their lives. McKay managed to find at least 30 officials that had defected to the West. 13 of them agreed to go on camera. Let's zoom in. Today, we're finally realizing the degree to which the Chinese Communist Party is truly hostile to the United States and our value. Beijing insists that these are somehow internal matters that others have no right to raise. That is wrong. The police officer responded that pandemic prevention is the department's top priority and said nothing else was important. The Chinese Communist Party, an opaque regime now at the helm of authoritarianism globally, Today, we'll take a peek behind this new iron curtain into the world of China's communist officialdom. Few researchers know as much about the Chinese communist leadership as award-winning filmmaker Kay Rubicek, author of Who Are China's Walking Dead? They're under extreme pressure, and they're constantly being forced to separate from their conscience, and eventually, it breaks them. Kay has interviewed dozens of former communist officials and poured through official documents and speeches to understand the worldview of people serving the regime. Today we'll dive into the warped world of China's communist leadership, one largely hidden from public view until now. For her research, Kay has spoken to a number of former Chinese officials, including a former Chinese diplomat, a labor camp director, a secret agent, a propagandist, and even an army colonel. In her book, she describes a striking experience when a former Chinese police commissioner described himself and those living under the Chinese Communist Party as walking dead. He said that we live like walking corpses. And when I heard that term, walking corpses, I had to stop the translator at that point and say, are you translating this correctly? Am I hearing this right? And she said, yes, walking corpses, walking soulless bodies, walking flesh. That's what he was saying. When Kay first heard the term walking dead, she asked other former Chinese officials if they had heard the term as well. It turned out it wasn't that uncommon. They weren't just describing themselves, they were describing many people in China living like the walking dead and that's essentially how the book started, was to be able to explain this concept in a Western context 
so that we could understand what they've become under this destructive ideology. So these are people who have basically obliterated their own consciences and or, or had them obliterated for them. There's another term that they also used, two layers of skin. That's where you have to separate your inner conscience from the outer layer of what you present to the public. So basically you have to push your conscience, your soul aside, and also means you have to push your truth, your sense of morality aside, and present to the public what the party wants you to present. That's what a communist member does, a communist official, that's what they must do. That's what they're obligated to do. They pledge an oath to put the needs of the party before their own. So if the party requires them to do certain things, which it does, and maybe they don't want to hurt somebody, but, but they have to hurt somebody. Maybe they don't want to lie, but they have to lie. So your personal conscience, your beliefs, sense of morality, must be pushed to that, that inner layer of skin. And the outer layer of skin is justified to lie, cheat, steal, torture, or kill. So for example, in 2014, there was a photograph that was posted on Weibo. It was leaked from a CCP journalist training session. This slide stated very clearly that news focuses on information, propaganda on format. News focuses on originality, propaganda on repetition. News focuses on fact, propaganda on opinion. News focuses on the timely, propaganda on timing. News focuses on communication, propaganda on manipulation. News focuses on balance, propaganda on spin. The CCP journalists are very aware of what they are doing. They have clearly been told they do propaganda, not news. You the Chinese regime has always had a way of twisting words and events to its advantage. But only those who are truly aware of the regime's bloody past can see through the fog of propaganda. I'm a mother. I wouldn't ask my children to go and watch Killing on the Street. But he did that. So I had to ask him, why? Why did you do that? And his answer was equally incomprehensible to me. The Tiananmen Square massacre was very, very visible in public. 
Since then, the regime has learned that you don't do that. You don't let the media see. That's why we don't have footage of the Falun Gong persecution or the Uyghur internment camps. I mean, we have little bits and pieces, but this particular official, he knew that it was significant for his daughter to go and watch the killing with her own eyes because he knew that they would cover it up. He knew that the propaganda from the CCP would come into effect immediately. It always has. Over the next few days, the CCP played reports that the students killed soldiers. But we know that's not the case. 10,000 students, regular citizens, were said to have died that night on the square. But they didn't have any memorial for them. To watch the full interview, click the link down below or check out American Thought Leaders on Epoch TV. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow. The 2022 NTD 8th International Chinese Vocal Competition will be held from September 29th to October 2nd at the Merkin Hall of Kaufman Music Center in New York City. The competition is honored to have specially invited vocalists with the world-renowned Shen Yun Performing Arts to serve on its panel of judges. The gold award is $10,000. For more information, please visit vocal.ntdtv.com.